first and foremost, for most of you guys that uh, that do know me, uh, just a minor introduction for the few that don't. My name's Carl Petit. My wife and I, we lead the real marriage ministry here at Sanctuary. And um, Pastor Rod, he's been working patiently uh, with me through the struggles of my past for nearly six years. And in that time, he's invited me to literally do nothing. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> to literally just have to do nothing, you know? Um, but for some of you, this may come as a surprise because there are a few of, there, there's actually as many of you in here that know how active my wife and I are, but to do nothing, uh, in our early years, um, Pastor Rod was one of the very select few that I actually, uh, told, uh, this story that I'm going to share with you guys. So this, this story this morning is very dear and close to my heart. Um, and it, to add to it, this is the first time I've preached in about seven years. Um, so this is a really big deal this morning. Um, so do you mind if I just dive in? I wanted to share with you, um, you know, I have a limited amount of time to speak today, uh, but my prayers, this story doesn't just impact one or two people here in the room, that it actually impacts everybody. Because the title of the service this morning is The Surviving Hurt. And a Surviving Hurt is a really broad subject because there's a lot of people, in fact, I can't think of a single person that's in this room here today that hasn't gone through some very serious level of hurt in their lives, right? Um, in my particular experience here, the greatest hurt that I've ever gone through in my life is, uh, is actually in the church. Uh, and, uh, you know, I want to tell that story, but before I tell this, I want to share with you my observations of the stages of hurt, whether it's in a relationship with a loved one or a job that you may have poured your heart into, um, the loss of a loved one, somebody very close to you. But by identifying these stages, uh, you're going to be able to see a greater perspective of what may or may not have happened to you. Uh, so grab your pen. I actually wrote these notes that are in your uh, worship guide this morning. And let's just go ahead and get started. But it's really uh, critical here that you guys understand the, the purpose of this message this morning. The purpose is, is that I want you to know that each and every one of you has a purpose in Christ's kingdom. So repeat after me. Say, I have a purpose. Well, that was convincing. Okay, so the next time around, let's also say, I am called. I am called. Yes. All right. So a calling is anything that takes the glory off of you and puts it on Jesus Christ where it belongs. Let me say this again. Your calling is anything that takes the glory off of you and puts it on Jesus Christ. And God is going to use that to glorify himself. God will use your calling to glorify himself. Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. You have a purpose and you are called. Write that down. You have a purpose and you're called. This also reminds me of 1 Corinthians 12, 27, where the Apostle Paul addresses the church in Corinth, and he says something profound. He says, now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. Listen to, listen to this again. You are a part of the body of Christ. Now, the body of Christ does not exist in these four walls. Okay? Mind blown. <laughs> There are other churches out there besides sanctuary. 
Now, now I'm one of those guys that says that, you know, hey, I really don't care where you go to church. As long as you go to a Bible-believing, gospel-teaching, Jesus-exalting church, that you're going to go and you know, just go there someplace, you know, but, but, but go, okay? Because it's in being in that body of believers that you actually get to see other people's purposes being lived out, and you get to see other people's callings being given out, which gives you inspiration for your purpose and for your calling. Does that make sense? The leading cause of death is cardiac arrest or a broken heart. You might want to write that down. This is important because I've seen firsthand the stages of death. Two and a half years ago, I was with my dad when he died. And uh, it kind of goes like this. One part of the body starts to shut down. Then it affects the other parts, and finally the heart breaks. And it's not an analogy. It's just a simple fact that the heart is usually the part of the, the part that breaks last. And the reason why I know this is because my brother's a respiratory care practitioner at the VA hospital, and he told me so. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. I build puns for a living. But you know what? It's in the outline of your calling that you get, that you begin to find your place in the body of Christ. It's in the outline of your calling that you begin to find your place. Um, I want to paint a picture for you. I'm going to kind of let, introduce you to me. Do you mind if I do that? Is that okay? All right. I was raised Catholic right here in Redlands at, uh, Sacred Heart Church. I went to parochial school for my first five years, transferred over to Mariposa uh, Elementary School in Redlands, went to Moore Junior High School, and I graduated Redlands High School class in 1988. Last night was our 30-year reunion. I did not go. <laughs> I hate those things. Um, but being raised in the church, I was, of course, an altar boy, and I did... Um, I served until I was 17 doing uh, funerals and special events and high holy days. Uh, the last time I served as an altar boy was Midnight Mass, 1987. I wore jeans. And I was admonished for wearing jeans. Um, they weren't even rolled up. You know, in the 80s, you know, some of you guys might have survived the 80s with rolling up your pant legs. I did that, you know. Um, I think I may have indirectly met Rod through Saturday Night Live uh, during those years. Um, because my friends were reaching out to me, and uh, I thought I was a Christian. You know, I didn't realize that at that time, you know, I really wasn't. Um, but uh, I met Michelle in 1989, and she wasn't just any Christian. She was a Baptist. <laughs> There's one Baptist in the room. But be- <laughs> Maybe two. All right. But before you laugh, I want you to know that I was saved in the Baptist church right in, right here in Beaumont over at uh, Fellowship in the Past in 1992. And I remember the first time going to Baptist church. Now, being raised Catholic, I had my idea of what it was going to look like. There was going to be this beam of light that was going to shine down from heaven above. And the preacher was going to shout, like in the movie The Blues Brothers, Have You Seen the Light? And there were going to be people doing the trampolines and the backflips and coming forward and all that stuff. And I was terrified of that. So I, you know, I went to church scared and come to find out it wasn't like that. I was somewhat disappointed, you know. (laughs) And I was relieved at the same time. 
But rolling the clock forward, we started serving in the church with first graders. Then we moved to Hemet. We started serving at a reasonably large church as Sunday school leaders for the young marrieds. And we saw that group go from four people to around 40 on, uh, on an average Sunday school. Um, I was ordained as a deacon, and uh, we moved on to the youth department. And uh, then when we moved on to the youth department, the youth grew. Uh, it was just basically the pastor's son, his girlfriend, and a couple other kids. And then within, within a short period of time, uh, we had 50 to 60 kids every Wednesday night seeking Christ. A lot of fruit there, right? I served at that church for 10 years as a youth pastor before I left over defensiveness, and the situation isn't important at this point. But what is important is that I left hurt, rejected, and without value. We found our way to a small church in Hemet, and nearly right away we found ourselves leading small groups. I led, I stepped up again to pastor the youth group, and bam, it happened again. Only this time it was far worse than before. Uh, we were the victims of slander. Gossip, false assumptions, and I was, when I was fired from my volunteer position, I came home from, I was on my way home from uh, serving as a youth pastor at Hume Lake. That was my mountain high experience. Got fired. And to this day, it still hurts, to be honest with you. Um, Pastor Mike Thompson, a few weeks ago, he led a really great message uh, talking about the importance of speaking life into other people's lives. You guys remember that one? It was a good sermon. He was talking about how important it is to speak life into people. At my last church, I was told that I did not have a relationship with the youth group, that I lacked a pastor's heart, and amongst other things I'd rather not discuss. And there's more to the story, and I'm not going to go there. Um, it, it just gets, it, believe it or not, it even gets uglier and darker from that point. And as much as I was rejected in this way, they actually wanted me to serve as an elder. And I was in the vetting process of becoming an elder. Um, of course, uh, you know, I didn't take that ordination. Um, but it was a really toxic time in my life. Michelle and I, we needed to relocate. We left Hemet, and we moved to Beaumont, and we found sanctuary. We won. <laughs> One person's excited. <laughs> um, there's, there's not only one church ninja in this room, by the way. Um, as it is with many people that come to church, I was a church ninja, too. Uh, we started coming uh, in uh, late 2014. The first year was us leaving church as fast as we could. So we would, here's the drill. We would come in, do the, yeah, yeah, I love Jesus, blah, 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 blah. I hate his people. I'm leaving. Boom. Out the door. <laughs> Didn't want to get to know any one of you guys because of the fear of making a relationship, right? Or the fear of getting hurt again. I just, I was just like, nah, we're done. So like this, as the last worship set is finishing up, we're like, we'll see you later. And boom, you know, out the door. Also being a good Berean. And one of the things that I am, a, I am like a Berean. I love to dig into God's word. I am a nerd when it comes to that, okay? I've got one person nodding his head because I, I really love to do that. Um, so I was checking for heresy on Sunday mornings listening to the sermons, you know? I was, I was looking for every reason not to come. 
<laughs> I was like, come on, just a little heresy from the pulpit so I have an excuse not to be in church anymore, you know? I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to go to church. I was done. Michelle, she got a job up in Big Bear um, selling timeshares up there, and I found my excuse, and I stopped going to church for a year. My walk with Christ was uh, flatlining at that point. I was so caught up in my own self-pity that I didn't even realize that my heart had literally stopped beating. I was so caught up in the recognition of my pain and hurt that I didn't feel the warning signs that I was in desperate need of a great physician. I'm going to give you guys warning signs that you might need be in need of a spiritual AED. I have to add this back in. It wasn't until Pastor Rod invited me to coffee at Starbucks in Beaumont uh, where he heard my story and he invited me to go to Rooted. My first Rooted group was led by Mike and Sherry Taylor and uh, Chris and uh, Georgina Kelly. They were instrumental to a healing in my life that I did not want at that time. It was safer for me to take up and hold on to my identity of hurt and self-preservation. So the first warning sign is this, defensiveness or self-preservation. You can write that down. Exodus 14.14 says the Lord will fight for you and you need to only be still. Step number two, you become numb. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined me. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction and out of the miry bog. You see, I, I, I didn't want to feel anything. I was so lost in my self-preservation, I didn't want to open up. And to be, to trust or to be honest, I literally lost all hope. And I felt somehow it was better for me to get lost in my ocean of self-pity and self-loathing, which incidentally are things that I still struggle with today. So let's talk about that. Write this down on the side of your notes. We're all sinners. You can write that down. We are all sinners. Underline the word all and draw a circle around it. The Bible says that we have all fallen short of the glory of God and none are righteous, no, not one. Yet somehow I expected my experience at church to be safe, to be different, and importantly, in a sense of being ignorant, I thought that all three of these churches had really wonderful people in attendance and somehow that they would be immune from the nonsense and the drama. What I learned was that just because we're saved from the eternal consequences of our sin, we are not saved from our propensity to sin. Let me break this down for you again. We are all under a curse. Every single one of us in this room. And we have uh, this, this, this thing called this sinful nature. And as much as we want to fight it, it's there. And while we have a room filled with Christians, hopefully, we're saved from the eternal consequences of that curse, but we're not delivered from that until the day that we die and we are sanctified by Jesus Christ. So I promise you this, that you will be upset by somebody in this room, if not already by me. I promise you I'll upset you. But I also promise you that I, I apologize. Um, 
You see, here we are, cursed people trying to behave like we're not cursed, right? And angry at other people for behaving exactly the opposite <laughs> of, the wish that they, of the way that they wish that they would behave. And then causing shame on them for the behavior that they wish that they didn't have. Think about that for a second. How dare any one of us cause, call, you know, call shame on another person for behaving under a curse that they can't control? And don't you guys see how ridiculous it is? So here I was. I was caught up in this crucial moment of self-realization and clarity for the first time in years. And it really was as, indeed as if the clouds had parted. And I did see the light. And I wasn't wearing a black and white suit, by the way. But here it is in a nutshell. you got to forgive. Step number three is you haven't truly forgiven. Ephesians 4, 31, 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Now, don't you tell me that forgiveness isn't easy. I know it's not. Don't tell me that we're called to do hard things. I know that too. Don't tell me that there's freedom and forgiveness. I know. Or that you have to forgive in order to be forgiven. That's all true too. But what I am going to tell you is, is that there's clarity. How many of us want clarity? Amen to that. For me, it was like waking up from a bad nightmare. You know that one that you're where you're screaming and there's no sound coming out? You know? Or the one that repeats over and over and over again? And so there I was. I was stuck. I was completely stuck in my place and in my time of hurt. So stuck that it became my identity. And I was in so much pain. Then I had to do it over and over again, again and again. And somewhere I found compassion for those that hurt me. I literally began to feel bad for them. Not in a pitiful way. But in the way that you be a feel bad for a victim of circumstances beyond their control, like people that have gone through a hurricane or a tsunami or something, you can't control it. And one day I woke up, and I can't tell you the exact day, but I remember that I took that first step towards healing, which leads to symptom number four. Your focus is on the problem, not on Jesus. Guys, what I just said right there is going to upset like 40% of the people in the room. <laughs> but I don't work here. So you can fire me. This is second service and I'm done. (laughs) It's all good. I'd rather be down there with you. (laughs) Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If your focus is on the problem and not on Jesus, guess what your problem becomes? It's an idol. So there I was coming out of my self-induced despair, and after service I did something I had never done before. 
Um, <laughs> last night, I finally watched that movie. Uh, what was it called? Uh, I Can Only Imagine. How many of you guys have seen that movie, right? What a great movie that is. Um, so my pain became my inspiration. I stole that line from the movie last night. Is that all right? <laughs> my pain became my inspiration. You see, I needed to serve. And I was terrified to serve, but as I looked around this big church, inspiration came to me. I needed something that did not require training, and it was sort of symbolic of my need to serve in God's kingdom again. So you know what I did? I put away chairs. It's one of the things I love about this church, by the way. I love the fact that we have to pick this thing up and put it away in a box at the end of service every Sunday. Because it does not require special training to pick up that flooring and to put it on a tray and scoot it into a box or to stack chairs ten, nine high, not ten, nine high, put it on a red cart and take that and push it into a box. It's not that big of a deal. But you're serving in God's kingdom. Number five. Your identity is in the offense, not in Christ. First Peter 2 9 says that, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. I'm going to talk to you guys real quick. This is not in my notes, but I want you to hear something very strong. A few of you that have gone through real marriage with me or through rooted with me have heard me say this, but for the everybody else, I'm going to say something very important to you. God knows you. God is all-knowing, and he transcends time. The Bible says in Hebrews that Christ was crucified before the foundations of the earth. What that means is, is that God knew the plan of salvation before earth was formed. And if God is all-knowing, then he knew you before he created you. He knew your plan. He knew your life story. He knew your victories, and he knew your failures. He knew it all before he created you. And he did it anyways. Because he loves you. God thinks very highly of you. This morning, um, leadership, they made the decision to have communion. And um, as the uh, worship team comes back up onto the stage, I want to make a few final points. It is the awareness of the hope that you have in Christ is the reason why you have to forgive. It's not about you. It has nothing to do with you. It never has been, it never was, and it never will be. It's about how your life is going to be laid down before God as a living sacrifice. It's the reprogramming of your thoughts, your instincts, your gut. It all has to come to light. And you have to sort of become born again in a sense. You have to die to your self-induced bondage and be given a fresh start, fully aware of your past. Honoring your past, but not living in it. So if you want to survive, and I mean really survive, you just have to stop. You just have to stop. Stop being self-defensive. Stop reading through, you know, between the lines. Stop jumping to conclusions. Stop thinking that you're all that when... You and I, we all suck. (laughs) 
realize our current condition and see our commonality in each other's condition and show grace for perhaps maybe even the first time in your life. So why do you need to forgive? For some, this may be the first time in celebrating a long time. I want you to encourage to see this morning's celebration of communion as maybe a definitive line in the sand in your life's journey. I know that there are a lot of people that are holding on to some really deep pain in this room. Let it go. You have to let it go. It's killing you. I'm going to give you guys uh, five steps to recover. You have to trust God and see his people as broken and equally in need of divine intervention. Write that down. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to wake up and get out of your own way. There are people out there that need you. There are people out there that need your spiritual gifts. And you got to forgive. I mean, you really got to do it. And you have to set your focus on Christ. And finally, you got to reflect Christ in your identity as he reflected God in his. You got to turn it over to God. And right now is that time to just release it. You got to release what you're holding on to. You got to let it go and you got to do it over and over. And when you can't let it go, you got to pray that God would intervene. Romans 8.28 says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And we don't even know what we're supposed to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us in pleadings and groanings that are too deep for words. And these wordless groans describe the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives as an intercession for us when we're in a state of powerlessness and he wants it for you. I just described one of the greatest hurts in my life and by every right and every definition of the word, I should not be here. And there are mornings where I don't want to. But I'm obligated to share this message with you so that God can perform a miracle in your life. And I want that for you. Communion is a very special time to reflect on Christ, his death, his resurrection, and the remembrance of our broken lives. The thief said to Jesus on the cross, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus assured him that today he would join him in paradise. This dismembered thief on the cross, broken, destroyed, and killed for his crimes, was put together in a way only God can do. From dismembered to remembered. You hear that? We have communion tables that are set up. We're going to go forward in a few moments, and we're going to accept the elements together as a family, as a, as a body of believers. And as you come forward, I'm going to read something to you. Then we're going to all take the communion together as a family. And we're going to close in worship. And I'm going to bless you guys. And you guys are out of here. So let's go ahead and come on together forward right now as a family.
1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34 says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe in part, for there must be factions amongst you in order that you who are genuine among you may be recognized. But when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one of you goes again with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What is that? Do you not have houses in to eat and drink? Or you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing. What should I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I have received from the Lord what I have also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And we had given thanks. He broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. Forever eats... For whoever eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we had judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we would not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And about other things, I will give directions when I come. Let's have a moment. Let's reflect on what you've heard this morning. Think about that moment in your life. Or those moments. And just give it to God. And as you receive the elements this morning... Say a prayer to yourself. Pray to God. Pray that God would intercede for you. Pray that the Holy Spirit would offer up a prayer on your behalf. And let this moment be a defining line in the sand. And I want to invite you after service, if you need prayer, we have some wonderful people that will pray with you.